in this study of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just can't help, in when I'm reading this, to stick to the theme of Revelation 1.1. There are many that would cause us to turn aside and try to figure out when these four horsemen rode and the conflict that they caused, but I can't help but think that we could do right by looking at Christ in each of them. Now, I liked a, a statement that Brother Gene Harmon mentioned one time to me that may not be the defin that may not be the definition, hmm. but that is a good application. And I'm looking for applications. And uh, I may miss some of the things, the theological things, but I do have a center that's right here in Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And when I run into difficulty, I'm either going to skip that passage or apply it to Christ. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I find that some of the old scholars that are not paid too much attention to anymore had some of the same views that I've come to. This is another statement about Christ. But over the years, the wiser ones have decided this probably applies to some time during the Roman Empire and their uh, persecution of the church. God's people have been persecuted since Abel was slain by his brother outside the Garden of Eden. And that persecution continues. And we're going to see here in this passage of Scripture that as we look at this second seal that's opened up, a scroll of some magnitude, and it has seals on it. It's written on the front and the back. And it has some type of seal on it. Not, and what I get out of that is it's like sealing wax. When they used to light a candle and drip it on the envelope and then stick their seal in it. And people knew if the seal had been broken, you couldn't have opened... Steamed open by accident, like our new envelopes, those you knew if they'd been broken. And they had these seven seals on them, seven pieces that held them intact, and no man was able to open the book or to open the seals except the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the revelation of that book. He is what's revealed in that book. Now, this second seal, I want to read verses 1 through 4 of this sixth chapter and spend some time on that second seal tonight and the horseman that's in that and what he is doing. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And we looked last week, this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and his weapons are not weapons of, of material 
uh, things. It's uh, spiritual weapons. And it's the gospel. And he conquers souls with the gospel. And he goes forth with an intent and a purpose of conquering every soul that he was given in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. Now they're unrepentant until he gives them repentance. And they're unbelieving until he gives them belief. And they will not fall before him in faith and belief until he gives it to them. But he gives it to them and overcomes them and overwhelms them and gives to them regeneration and peace within. And he conquers them. And in retrospect, looking back at the facts that occurred when God saves his people, when he saved me, at the moment it was traumatic and I repulsed against all the wooings of the Holy Spirit. But he overcame and instantaneously I was thankful for all that he did to overcome me. I understood, and I shared this with people, I understand more about grace now than I've ever understood, and I didn't have to go to Strong's Concordance to discover it. To overcome my sin, and to overcome my nature, and to overcome my relationship with Adam, God was gracious to do that, and he came forth conquering and to conquer, and he does that. He will not lose the battle. Now, he may apply pressure and Pull back and apply pressure and pull back. But ultimately, he will win. And the old fathers put it this way. It was irresistible grace. And if we know anything about grace, that's a positive thing. It's irresistible grace. He puts it in such a fashion with such power that it's overwhelming and irresistible. Now, in the second seal, when I... And when he had opened the second seal, and remember, he's the only one that has the ability, power, uh, to open up these seals. A great angel called through heaven and earth, under the earth. Is there any that could open the book? And not one could open that book. And then there's the lamb, seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. And this lamb came and took that book. And it was such a, a giving and taking at the same time by the Father to the Son that we stand in awe at that transaction. And he took that book and he has been given, granted the power. Not only has he been given the power, but he has it innately in himself to open that book. And now he does with no trouble. He doesn't have to go and get a pry bar. With no trouble, he opens that book. And with no trouble, he reveals himself in the word of God. It is his innate power to reveal himself in the word of God. And he has done it. Now, I have to remember what uh, the Lord Jesus shared with Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. What that means is you didn't get this instruction from your parents. Now, it's good to give instruction, and it's good to give good instruction, but flesh and blood does not reveal Christ. But my Father, which is in heaven, he's the one that reveals the Lord Jesus. And it's a triune effort. It's the effort of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's successful effort in every instance. 
Now, there's a call that goes out, general call that goes out. And people, they pay no attention to it, but there is a call. And we've looked at this in the past, and you know what it is. When your mother or your father called you, it was an internal call to you. Other kids may not have paid any attention, to, but you did. Because it was a call that came from someone who cared. Now, that's the call of the Holy Spirit. It's internal and it is irresistible. Now, the second great event that takes place here, the opening of this second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And there went out another horse. And that was, has been provided, another horse, red. And power has been added and was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And they should, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now it would be easy. And most people uh, with various views on end times, it's easy to take this and look at it from a physical sense but let's see what Jesus said about this. Let's see what he said about taking peace from the earth. The Lord had a lot to say about that issue. He said he did not come to bring peace. Now that's his words. Turn with me if you would over to the book of Luke. Nothing has divided a house like the gospel. Nothing has divided a land like the gospel. Nothing has divided father and mother like the gospel. Nothing has divided children from parents like the gospel. Now, other things have done that, but nothing divides like the gospel divides. And there is no anger like against the gospel. There's just no anger. It is, uh, I was reading about enmity. We're enmity by nature. We're enmity. Now, a person who is an enemy may be rectified. But the person used this illustration, but you can't clean up vice. This is, a, this is not being an enemy. An enemy can be reconciled. But this is, is, a, is an item that is not tangible. You can't clean up vice. You can't make it better. It's always going to be vice. And that's what it is in us. It's enmity. It's having God as our enemy. And the only way that that can be straightened up is God comes and rules in our heart and changes our heart and gives us a love for God. Now notice here in the book of Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus shares with us, and over here it says, He came, power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. He has the power to grant the gospel to people. And there's nothing that will take peace from the earth like the gospel in the hearts of God's people. In the times of the book of the writing of the book of Revelation, some of the greatest persecution against Christians up to that time was noted, and it was taking the gospel did not bring peace, it brought the sword. Now notice this, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12. 
is the Lord Jesus spoke about this very thing. That second horseman is granted power to take peace. Here in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, the scriptures share this. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I come to give peace on the earth? I tell you, no, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five and one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Now the Lord Jesus says, when I come and I bring the gospel... It is going to have such an effect on people that it will not bring peace in that house. It will bring peace in your heart. It's going to be a peace that passeth all understanding. It is a peace that is, uh, uh, you just can't paint. You just can't explain. But at the same time, that gospel that God brings to his people is going to be a line of demarcation, a line of separation, a line of division, a line of peace and war. The gospel changes people. And when people find, you can accept religion, and you can go from religion to re religion and not bother your family, but when you are saved by the grace of God, by the by the. Uh, Grace of God performed in Christ before the world began, people are going to have a problem with it. And the Lord Jesus said, I send forth a horse, and on that horse is a horseman, and that horseman's responsibility is to take peace from the earth. I am going to show that this is more than religion. I'm going to show that this is more than just what has happened in the past. This is a true line of demarcation. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We read along these same lines. And he, he carries a great sword. His influence on taking peace from the world is produced by a great sword. I like what it says in the book of Ephesians. We'll read that in a moment. But the sword of the Spirit, and he gives the definition of it, is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's all he has ever used. He has never used a physical sword. You cannot. I, I've had, maybe I've had too much fun with my granddaughter. And she's... Uh, She's learning math. And I asked her the other day, do you suppose if I turned you upside down, I could paddle these math facts into you? And she says, no, granddaddy. No, granddaddy. We're, just, we're not going to put any information through by a beating. We're going to get information from God through regeneration. The law never put any positive information in our brains. It was a beating. 
No positive information about God came through the law. Positive information about God, he said, it's the love of God that constrains us. It's the grace of God that works in us. It is the word of God that regenerates us, is used to regenerate us. It's the Holy Spirit's activity in us. God in his positive side is showing us that this comes not by a sword of flesh, but by the sword of the Spirit. John chapter 7, read there with me, verse 40. John chapter 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, uh, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Now notice verse 45. Then came the officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? A division among them. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I, I came not to bring peace but a sword. And it's so evidenced here. As he works his work of grace in some and the work of grace not in others. And then they're proud and boastful of the fact none of us have ever believed on him. We've not taken him. Why haven't you brought him? And they said, no man ever spoke like this man. Are you deceived? The division that Christ brings. The division. He brought peace from the earth. He took peace from the earth. Now, he puts it in our soul, but he never promised peace in this world. He promised peace within us. This gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has brought more division in households than any political stand has. The country was divided in the 1860s over north and south. We're we're promoted now that it was over slavery. It was over states' rights. Slavery was picked up later. It was states' rights. We were divided. Households were divided. But nothing like the gospel has divided. Households have been divided. Families have been divided. Divorces have been caused over it. Children have left. Parents have left when the gospel takes hold in people's lives. And the Lord Jesus said, I have a horseman going through this world, taking the peace from it. Oh, it looks calm, but the gospel comes and it brings peace and tranquility in the heart. And I don't know of a Christian that has ever promoted this non-peaceful attitude. A Christian is the most peaceful person to be around, but it, it just sticks in the cross. Christians are not kicking up about it. In fact, most of the time, we just keep our mouth shut. We just say, have it your way. The Lord Jesus told a group of people, he says, you will not choose life. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. 
you will not choose life. Now, unless he works in us, we won't either. But what a condemnation to a people. Here is the greatest gift that's ever been given, the greatest life ever to be lived, the greatest hope ever to be hoped, and men will not take it. It will be repulsive, in fact, to the point I will not have you talking about it. I went home. I had transferred from one religion to another religion when I was down in Texas and came home and told my mother about my new religion. It was Calvinism. And I was driving. I was sitting in the back seat. She was driving. My grandmother was in the front seat with her. And I was just driving along, and I mentioned about this. And she, she almost had a wreck. She turned around and says, you do not believe that. Well, really, I didn't. But what, what a opinion she had. I couldn't be so stupid as to believe in Calvinism. Well, grace is much more serious. <laughs> you just don't argue about it. But people want to argue. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts 13. Now, in this sense, here in the book of Acts chapter 13, we are the blessed recipients of a whole group of people not having any peace about the gospel. The Jews didn't have any peace about the gospel. They were really saying, we will not have this man rule over us. They were really saying, we'll not have the gospel. And we'll take it if we can demand that the males be circumcised and keep the temple worship. We'll take it. And Paul just that's not going to work. It's grace and grace alone, or it's works and works alone. But you can't have them both in the same sentence. Now here in the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 45, the apostle was speaking, and he says, Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and laid upon his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, logically, you would think, this is just going to have an overwhelming acceptance. They knew they couldn't keep the law in the Old Testament. They had witnessed it. But now the Apostle Paul brings up to you verse 39 there of Acts 13, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. Is there anything better? Forgiveness of sin and justification, is there anything better to stand righteous with God and to be just as if you had never sinned before God? Verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken of the, in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and proselyte, religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. 
The next Sabbath day became almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Resurrection, forgiveness of sin, justification, reconciliation. Is there any negative about any of those? My goodness. Forgiveness of sin, reconciliation, justification. We couldn't keep it in the law of Moses, but it's kept for us in Christ. Is there any better news that we could ever hear? And here they are. The religious people were filled with envy, spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. But did you notice up here, verse 40, there is a horse, and on that horse is a he. And that he is going through the world taking away peace. Beware, therefore, lest they come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He's taking peace from the world. Now notice here, verse 44, the next, uh, verse 46 then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What a condemnation. Judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. The greatest thing that man could ever have. The greatest hope. The greatest joy. The greatest forgiveness, the greatest men judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life. He said, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have sent thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Peaceful people. Paul and Barnabas just wanting to get along, preach the gospel. And here are those who are so tolerant. The most intolerant people are the people who tell me they're tolerant. <laughs> and here's those who believe they're tolerant, and they're the most intolerant people on the face of the earth, and that's religious people. Intolerant. And they chased them out, and it says here, that they shook off the dust off their feet against them and came into Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Conquering and to conquer, but he also came to take peace from the earth. And he does it with his great sword. It's the word of God. His great sword that he wields with such purpose and clarity. It's the word of God. And these people were only fighting against the word of God. Not against Paul and not against Barnabas. But against the word of God. And then turn with me back if you would to the book of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. 
We read these words about the subject the Lord said, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. Not peace in this world. He never came to give Israel their homeland. He never came to overthrow Rome. He never came to settle issues between governments. He never came to put away slavery. He never came. He never preached on the subject. Never preached on the moral issues. Never got involved with the adult shops. He just preached the gospel. That's the only thing that's ever going to change anybody's mind is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moral issues he talked about morality. He spoke to a woman at the well about it. And then she went home and says, This man told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now notice here in the book of Matthew, chapter Matthew chapter 10. Two or three years ago, I went to a family reunion, and my uh, two older sisters were there, and they had pinioned Jennifer up against a tree and were trying to find out what, her father believed. And I came over there and heard what was going on. I says, what's going on? He says, what Jennifer said, they're trying to find out what you believe. And I says, ladies, if you want to know what I believe, ask me. And he says, well, we hear you are. And I says, if you'll check out your history, you'll find out that almost everybody 200 years ago in America was people that believed in the sovereignty of God. And they said, you're probably correct on that issue. And I says, then why did you change? Come find out from me. Don't pinion my daughter up against a tree and try to figure it out. It bring, and I wasn't going around trying to create hate and discontent. I wasn't even talking about religion. I wasn't talking about anything. I was just having a family reunion. And they have to get nosy and angry and bitter and go away feeling like that. It's, they have a problem. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I didn't come to settle the issue between Jews and Romans. I didn't come to settle issues between Herodians and Pharisees. I didn't come to settle issues between that group and this group. He came to preach the gospel. He came to wield his mighty sword. He came to call people out of darkness to light. He, he called on Capernaum. If the works had been done in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, that have been done here, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. The mighty works that he did and didn't convert, but just a few by his grace. Now, it goes on to tell us here, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. Here's that sword, mighty sword. It isn't the sword of Rome. It wasn't the Roman Empire. It wasn't them conquering the known world at the time. 
This sword has been in effect since the creation. This is the sword that Abel used. This is the sword that Adam gave Abel. This is the word of God, the sword. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness. When I read down through here, I think of that person who was taking care of a knight. He helped him dress. Get his armor on. Now, the knight didn't put his own armor on. He stood there. And that, uh, what is it? Squire. The squire put the armor on the knight. He stood there. Now, our squire is the Lord. We don't put this armor on. It's put on us the same as it was put on Adam and Eve when they had those coats of skins. He is our squire. We're silent before him, and he dresses us with the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. It's spiritual things that God's people wrestle against in here and out here. 90% of it is here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. God exceedingly gives us a great favor when he shares the truth with us. Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When he shares the truth with us, he is sharing with us an exceeding great portion of grace. He goes on to say here, and the breastplate of righteousness, the right standing with God, the Lord Jesus Christ is our breastplate. And having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and it is the gospel of peace. It gives us peace. And it gives us peace in dark hours. It gives us peace in the night seasons. It gives us peace. And then, he, and above all things, take the shield of faith. My goodness, it's his faith that is our shield. We don't have the faith to fill a thimble. But it's his faith that is our shield. I, I used to like to watch Star Trek. <laughs> and they put the shield around their their spaceship and it just it wouldn't be touched by the enemy just think of that he put his force shield around us his shield of faith he's wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and what's most of the darts of the wicked hath god said hath god said are you sure he's sovereign Hath God said? That's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He didn't make Eve fall. He didn't make Adam fall. He just questioned, put questions. What's the fiery darts of the wicked one? Spreading half-truths. And then he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, that's the only sword God has ever had. Now the conquistadors came into Central and South America and took all those natives out there in the ocean and made them confess that they were uh, Christ and then killed them. So they couldn't change their mind. The sword of the Spirit, which is our, our peace. We don't need another sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It is the most powerful sword in all the world. It can go deeper, cut cleaner than any scalpel ever invented. It can go where no man can go. It's the sword of the Spirit. And just look at this fiery red horse. And he that sat on that horse has the power to take the peace from the earth and carries a mighty sword. When he comes upon a people and saves people, it's going to leave a void and a vacuum right there. What was it that those people, Paul's best friends, tried to do to him once the Lord saved him? And he started saying, you know what Moses was talking about over in the Old Testament? Christ, who was crucified down in Jerusalem. And they set out to kill him. Set out to kill him. He took their peace from them. This one. And they went out another horse that was red. And powers given unto him that sat on thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And they were given unto him a great sword. Finally, would you turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 9. There is such a delightful verse of scripture, a little passage of scripture here. Death is coming. And it's sure and swift here in the book of Ezekiel. But before death can take place, one is sent out to put a mark on the foreheads of people to identify them as not suffering death. I thought, my goodness, what an illustration of election that God would put a mark on people. Now notice here in the book of Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1, He cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, every man, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand, and behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth towards the north, and every man a slaughterer weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood before the, beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the, the man clothed with linen, which had a writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite, let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is...
is the mark. We justly deserved eternal death. But God in his rich providence has gone before and put a mark on all his people and has commanded, don't touch them. My gospel will work a work of grace in them. Goes on to say, just a little bit there, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they begin at the ancient men that were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. Now most of Ezekiel is speaking in figurative language, in spiritual language. He's just sharing with us what grace is. I'll go forth. I have marks on people. And they'll not have a second death. But everyone else. And that said, I'll take the peace from this earth and they'll kill each other. And I'll carry a great sword. And my sword is the word of God. More powerful than any sword, any weapon that has ever gone forth. It took a powerful king in the book of Daniel and caused him to say this. God doth his will among the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? That's what God did with a powerful king of Babylon. And he continues to do that with his people. They say, he doeth his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stop him or say, what are you doing? God goes forth conquering and to conquer, and the results of it, you can just watch. The results of it, there's a whole bunch of people lost their peace when God saves one of his sheep. It's just like a ripple. We'll stop there for tonight.